Amen. Okay, if you got your Bibles, if you got your phone app or whatever you use, you can take that out. Today was, we're going a little different direction. This was supposed to be the finale of our Parables with Jesus series. We had, we've been looking at these parables of Jesus, just these really cool, mysterious, surprising uh, puzzling parables and that I've just had such a ball with um, uh, looking at with Jesus. We had one more scheduled today and uh, that I was going to unpack with you, but we're not going to do it. I'm going to just put that right in my back pocket and we'll do that. We'll do that another time. Okay. We're going to save it because at the beginning of the week, it just really, really felt strongly to shift gears. And so we're going to be obedient to that in light of what is happening right now in our country. We, you know, so we're going to spend uh, two weeks today and next week. Today's pre-election Sunday. Next week will be post-election Sunday, so that'll, that'll be an interesting Sunday too. We'll, we'll, we'll know a lot more than we know right now. Uh, presumably, there'll be some of us uh, coming next Sunday who are in a really good mood, and we'll have a milk and cookies party for you back there in the foyer when you walk in, and for others of you, we'll have grief counselors on hand if uh, your guy didn't win. Or if you're one of those Christians who just uh, can't stand either choice that you have before you, we'll just hug each other and pray for Jesus to come quickly. Um, I've talked to you too. I understand. If that is you, by the way, let me just offer a little pastoral here, love. If that is you, uh, rather than allow something like this election to discourage you and, and just sort of fill you with hopelessness or something like that, allow this to be an opportunity to remind you that you have one leader, one Lord, one King, and his name is Jesus. Amen. We are ambassadors of one kingdom. And so just allow, that's good advice for all of us, really. No matter, you know, where you stand and what color the sign is in your yard, red or blue, allow that reminder to sink in. We have one Lord. Amen. Ambassadors of of the kingdom. Hallelujah. But today we're going to talk about three words. The three most beautiful radical words you could ever imagine. And those words are, God is love. God is love. Now, you have to understand, these words are revolutionary. Those of us who grow up in church, we've heard this phrase a lot. You might have heard this thousands of times. I, uh, you might be tempted to let this phrase just sort of, this startling declara- declaration just fly by you. Uh, without grasping on to what it means for us as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of this kingdom, as resident aliens in a land of people desperately searching for a leader to guide them, searching for a cause worth believing in. What these words mean for us is astounding. These three simple words, God is love, It provides for us as a church both a a direction, a very clear direction to live by, and also an assurance that we have ultimately nothing to fear. I'm going to say it again. We have nothing to fear. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, that part of this, Um, when there will be probably at least half the country tempted to to give in to, to fear and despair, whichever way this turns out. But... These three words mean so much. I want you to think of, can you think of three words that just normally fill you with joy? Three words uh, that that just make you happy? Uh, If you're a kid, all classes canceled. I mean, that's the best thing you can see, right? It's snowing or icing or raining or something, and you see all classes canceled. Life just got great, right? 
all-day breakfast. That's, to me, just about up there with almost the gospel, all day, right? If you're a shopper, half-price sale. Those, those are great. Better than all of those are these three words, God is love. What's amazing, you may not know, is that these three words that are so near and dear and such a part in our DNA of being a Christ follower, they appear in one place in all of Scripture, in one book, in one chapter. They're said twice in this one chapter in the New Testament. The Apostle John, in his letter, 1 John, uses it twice. And we're going to look at, look at one of the places there today. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going. And we're going to spend this week and next week, as I said, kind of unpacking some really timely nuggets during this crossroads that our country finds itself in. The word that John uses throughout this, uh, his letter here, he uses the word for love 13 times at least, and, and it's the Greek word agape, agape. Those of you who grew up in church, you've probably heard us talk about this before, but if you haven't, this is, in the Greek, there's a lot of different words for love. There's storge, there's phileo, which is like Philadelphia, you know, city of brotherly love, or, or filet mignon, love of meat. Um, <laughs> f- f- and then there's uh, eros, where we get erotic, these kind of loves. This love is different, though. This is a, a, a form of love, agape, the apostles in the, in the New Testament grabbed hold of, and they, and they filled it with, with meaning. It's an unusual kind of love because it's unconditional, it's unconditional love. It has, it's love with no strings attached. Uh, it also conveys a sense of honor between people. Uh, there's a, there's, it values other people. And uh, it lifts them up as infinitely precious, this kind of love. The other distinction of agape love is that it always exists between persons. This is a love that's always between people. It's never used to describe your relationship with inanimate objects or events. Uh, the way we would use the word love sometimes, we might say, I love this band, I like listening to this, or, or I love this food, or something like that. And, you know, in, the, in English, we would use the same word for the fact that I love my family, my wife, and my children. But of course, you know, I, it, it's not even in the same ballpark as, you know, I love Radiohead or fajitas or something. But we use the same word, but in, in Greek, it's different. It's different. This intimacy that's involved in agape. And the Greek word is always between, between persons. Um, I'm not sure where pets fit into that, by the way. Someone asked me one time, is a, can you use agape for pets? I don't, theologically, I'm just not sure. It's not mentioned in the Bible. I know we can really love our pets, but uh, you have to ask the Lord about that. But agape is this word that's used throughout the passages here when it's talking about love, when John talks about love. So starting in verse 7, we're in chapter 4 of 1 John. He says this, and how does your, if you're looking on your Bible, how does it begin? Beloved, dear friends, some some translations say dear friends. Uh, That hints at it, but it, it doesn't really fully capture this word beloved. It's more passionate that the word used here is actually agape toy, the beloved people, the divinely loved people of God, divinely beloved ones. It's the word used of Jesus by the Father when he said, this is my beloved, this is my son, my boy, the, the agape toy. What, what a beautiful way 
by the way, to think of how, to think of yourself and, and to think of the people around you, to say, I am a person who is loved. You are the one who is loved. We are the agape toy, the beloved of God. And this is the identity of the New Testament church, isn't it? We are the beloved of God, the loved ones of God. We receive love. We're the object of his love and the beloved. He says this, beloved, the agape toy, fellow divine beloved ones. Let us love one another because love is from God. Okay, right off the bat, we see the flow. Do you see it? It comes down from God. We don't just muster up this kind of love. It comes from God, and, and so it should come out from us towards one another. That's the direction of the kingdom. And it says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This word knows God is an intimate word. There's, there's several different ways, uh, words in the Greek for knowing. And this isn't just like knowing a, a fact, like a scientific fact or a, or a or something like that. This is an intimate knowing, like you would know a person, an intimate knowing. He says is born of God. Notice there, is born. It's a verb tense that reveals that you and I in the church, we're followers of Jesus. We have already been born of God. We are born. It's a done deal. This is the, the pure grace of salvation right here. It's something that's already happened. You're already born and you know God. Now, yeah, you, you, you're going to continue to have a lot of growing up to do. I do too. We're going to grow up, uh, but we're born into the family already. We're already, you know, once adopted, a child doesn't have to do anything else to earn her way in. She is in. She is like born into that family. And, and so John says, you should see the fruit of God's love, this amazing love that he has for you. You should see the fruit in how you are growing in your love for one another. And then he also tells us the flip side of that right here. He states in the next verse that whoever does not love does not know God, does not know God. So if you don't love, you don't know God. Now there again, we're going to do it imperfectly. Sure. We do everything imperfectly. We'll, we'll love imperfectly, but we should see the evidence of love as the primary fruit of our identity. The evidence of love. It should be growing more and more. If we're truly part of God's family, we should, we should be growing in love. Now, if you were to zoom out, if we had time to zoom out of this, on this chapter to look at the larger context of the letter that John is writing, he's not only encouraging Christians, he's also warning them about false Christians, false prophets, false teachers. And he's saying that there are, there are going to be people who teach things that seem convincing, they're going to teach things that get you really fired up. They'll claim spiritual authority. Uh, and what they say might really move us. But look at their life, he says. Look at their life. If they're not loving, if you don't see this love for the church, love for the agape toy, uh, then, then they're not truly representing Christ. Uh, you may have someone in your life who claims spiritual authority in your life or someone you listen to. And they may tell you that they have wisdom to share with you. You should look at their life and say, is this person marked by love? That goes for people, you know, you might hear on a podcast or your own pastors. Always ask, is this person marked by love? And if not, be very, very cautious looking to them for wisdom. Why? Because here's our three 
greatest words, the most beautiful words, God is love. God is love. How can you be in tune with the God who is love and not have love spilling out of your life onto other people? Right? Because God is love. Listen, this is a radical statement because God is love. This goes against thousands and thousands of years. I mean, since the dawn of man of, of what people's conception of God is. God is a whole lot of things. You could, you could ask any pagan society over any generation and they would have lots of really interesting things to tell you of what God is and what God is like. God is love is not one of them. This goes against all of that. And, and even in the church today, when you say God, when you say the word God, there's a lot of competing images that come to mind because a lot of us bring a lot of baggage. Let's just face it. We face, you know, our history, our brain, you know, however we were brought up, the people we knew, the experiences we've had in life and with family or something like that. Some of us bring baggage in. So when you say God or Father God, ooh, that brings up all kinds of stuff for some folks. But the beautiful truth here is that God is love. That is what we are told. The Bible is telling us the completeness and fullness of who God is. This, this is not an aspect of God. It doesn't say that God is loving, that God is love. That's who he is. He is love. There's a symbol. Some of you probably recognize this symbol. It's used sometimes to, to uh, speak of balance. Anybody recognize this? The yin-yang it's about balance, right? There's this and there's that and everything is in equal balance in the world. I remember growing up thinking, this is a really elegant symbol. It's kind of cool. It is not the symbol of God. This is not the symbol of Jesus. God is not in balance. We don't try and balance his love out with something else. We don't say, well, yeah, God's love, but I mean, don't go too far, right? Because he's also, no, He's, there's no, he's also, he is love. He's love. And that means that everything we experience from God is an expression of his love. All the other things that we experience from God is an expression of his love. His creative power is an expression of his love. There's a school of of thought in, in Christian theology that he is such a creative being that his love is so abundant. He cannot not create. He's just continually creating and that he is a creative and that is an expression of his love. His grace, we talk about this all the time. His grace is an expression of his love. That's an easy one, right? We can look and say, oh yeah, definitely God is love. Look at his grace. But also his justice. Also his judgment. Everything about God is an expression of his love. Hebrews 12, 6, it's quoting the Proverbs, says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So even his discipline is still an expression of his love. We don't say God is love, but he's also discipline. He is love. It's all an expression of his love. We're talking about the very guts of God. This is his DNA. This is not, this is love. It's not balanced. The yin-yang is not the symbol of Christianity, the cross is the symbol, right? The cross is. And that's why scholars have pointed out that when we talk about our faith, we don't even, we don't just talk about it even as, as Christocentric or, you know, Jesus at the center, but it's cruciform. It's Jesus on the cross. 
is the center. You really want to know what God is like. It's not just Jesus walked around, he was really neat to people, and he was nice, and he healed some people, and he played with kids. He died. That is the picture of who God is. That is what God is like. That is the heart of God expressed. Who, the guy who, as he was dying, forgave those who were murdering him. That's the heart of God. And as he rises again from the dead, he rises with more forgiveness to offer. He reinstates the very guys who abandon him. So don't try and balance God out. Don't try and balance him out. The Lord our God is not balanced, right? The Shema in the Hebrew is not, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is very balanced. He's a little of this and a little of that. No, no, the Lord our God is one. He is one. He is one. He is love. Now, the Apostle John here, he's going to give us some context to this radical statement. Because remember, these guys heard this for the first time. This is the first time a church ever said, hey, we got a letter from John. Let's read it together. God is love. Let's read that, right? So he says this in verse 9. He gives it some context. God's love was revealed among us in this way. In this way. So he's saying, if we're going to say that God is love, how do we see that really clearly so we're not tempted to pour our own definition of love in, right? Because there's a lot of ways you can, a lot of different definitions of love. The way the Bible defines love is really interesting here because he doesn't follow now with a dictionary definition of love. You know, that we in the age of enlightenment, we would really like. Please give us four definitions of love so we can know. What he says is, let me define love for you. I just got to show you. Let me just show you Jesus. That's what he says. Here, look to the life of Jesus. He points to Jesus. Look at how he lived. Look at what he taught. Look at how he died. Look how he rose again and what his posture was towards those who killed him. And you will see what love is. Now, there are places in Scripture uh, where we get uh, love is described in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of known as the love chapter, right? Everybody knows about that one. We like to read that at weddings and things like that. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, has some really good descriptions and, and illustrations of what love is. Those are important descriptions of love, but the primary one is actually just Jesus himself. And the apostles make it clear over and over and over. You want to know what love is? Do you know what God is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So, the, so John's very clear here. He wants to know, wants us to know what he's talking about. So immediately he starts talking about Jesus. Here's how God showed his love. What do he say? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in, in this is love, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's move on here. In verse 11, he says, beloved, there he's using the same word that divinely loved ones, the divinely loved ones. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love. Now, let me stop there for a second. Sound like you've never seen this verse before. How would, how, how do you, you and I who know this, how does this verse end? We also ought to love who? One another, right? Because we just saw this. We just saw it written there. So of course, but that's the, that's the thrust of all the New Testament. That's kingdom ethics right there. But just pretend for a second 
pretend for a second that you didn't know any of this. What is the logical continuation of this sentence? You would expect it to say, God's loved us so much, so we should love God, right? Uh, God has, has been so good to you, so you should be so good to God. God has given his life for you, so you should give your life to God. Uh, they used to say when I was a kid, Jesus died for you, so the least you can do is live for him, right? That sounds good. He's done this for you, so this is what you should do for him. It seems like a logical flow. That's what natural human religion would say. It's, it's, it's the religion of reciprocity. The reciprocal response to this is, oh, I need to do for God what he did for me. It seems balanced, doesn't it? But if we understand how it really means to live in the kingdom, we know that this flow does not head in that direction. How it flows is, isn't what God has done for you, then you need to do this for God. Rather, it is, this is what God has done for you, so pass it on to other people. That is the flow of the kingdom of God. That is the DNA of a Christ follower, central to what it means to be a Christian. God has done this for you. Do this for others. I, I bring this out because it's easy for us to fly by, right by this. Don't let this ever fail to shock you when you read this. Every time you hear this. True spiritual life in the kingdom looks like this. God has loved you so much. So we also ought to love one another with that same love. Your love of God, and you love God, you want to love God, but it's intricately bound in how you display the fruit of love to other people. It just is. Even to those, especially to those whom it's hard to love. Even to those you know, you don't get any real points for, for worshiping God and praying to God, reading your Bible, attending church, living holy, managing all your sin, and being unloving to people. He doesn't give us any points for that. So I love God in how I express my love for the people that God loves. Because it makes sense when you start to think about it, because God is God. He's God, right? Sometimes we need something from God or we're praying to God or we need something or we want to express our devotion to God. And so we get alone. We say, God, I'm going to pray for 10 hours today. I'm going to sit in my room. I'm going to pray for 10 hours. I'm going to do this or I'm going to fast this. I'm going to do this just to show you my devotion so you'll know how much I love you. And I feel like God comes alongside us and he's like, I appreciate your piety, but I'm good, right? What I really need you to do is love my other kids, that's why community is so important. So our coming together is so important. So we've got to love each other. God is God. He's completely self-sufficient, which is why he's always sending us. He's always redirecting us into relationship with one another as a way of expressing our faith. God's not, God doesn't say, come on, gather everybody around and worship me. Everybody come over. Here I am. Eyes here. Eyes here. Right? Attention. I need your love. No, he says, I've loved you. Now go. Start loving each other well. Start loving each other. And I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be with you. And we're going to do this together. At verse 12, 
is such a powerful verse here. We're going to end our reading today with this. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Now, that's an interesting thing for John to say. If you, you know, if you know your Bible a little bit, you remember some Old Testament stories. John says the same thing in the gospel of John, in his, in his gospel. He says the same thing. And there he says it's Jesus. Jesus is close to the Father's heart. And it's Jesus who's made the Father known to us. John's saying, I know the Old Testament. I know those, there's lots of stories about people seeing God. But they've never really fully seen the essence of who God is. Until you see Jesus, until you stare into his face, his teachings, his example, until you see Jesus, you haven't seen God. Whatever you think you know, whatever you think you know, you're going to have to rethink it. Once you see Jesus, especially when you have to rethink everything you think about God, when you finally see Jesus and you say, oh, this is the plot twist of history. Jesus, because Jesus shows us what God is actually like. So John says it again here in 1 John. He says, no one has ever seen God, but now he's going to throw in a twist, okay? No one's seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. He says, no one's seen God. We see it in Jesus, but another way of seeing God is when you love one another really well. When we have a beloved community of people who are loved and who love, and we're living out this Christ-like life with each other, that's the other way you get a clear vision of God. That's the way you do it. And he says, he says here an interesting thing. He says that this love, his love is going to be made perfect in us. It's this Greek word telos, perfect. And it means, it doesn't mean like what we think of as perfect, like I do everything just right. It means completed, like accomplished. It's sort of like uh, they would use the word for finishing a marathon, right? Tell us, you finished, reach the, you, or a, or a sculptor who's put the finishing touches on their beautiful sculpture. God is completing the work that he began in us, in you and me, when he, the, from the moment he started to form you into the person that he desires you to be. And as we love one another, he says, love will reach its ultimate goal. It might take a while, but it will reach its ultimate goal in us. We reach completion. We achieve our purpose. We reach God's end, which is to have us loving one another. The goal of God's love in our life. It's not just so that we can have an intimate relationship with Him, which is good, but we, can't, we can get out of balance if we think that is the aim of life. It's so that what we want God to be able to say is, look at my family look how they love each other. Look at them. They're all different. They're like crazy. Sometimes they disagree and look how much they love each other. My boys and my girls. They're loving just the way I showed them to love in Jesus. Look at them. And they're starting to get a glimpse of me in that. Through that love, they're, they're sharing amongst one another. That's what we want God to be able to say when he looks at us. When he looks at you and me and how we interact with each other and with the world. I want to I finish up today by challenging us to do something. I don't just want to, I thought about this, I don't just want to give you kind of like this little esoteric, be loving, I was going to do that, but you know, usually we walk out of there and then we forget what that means by the time we're eating lunch. So I want to give us something concrete, a little daily homework 
to do today, to incorporate into your prayers, your time of devotion, your meditation, whatever it is you're doing all, the, all during the day. This is just a little something to guide you. It's a spiritual practice of reflecting on God's love as seen in the life of Jesus uh, in, and also in others around you. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which we mentioned before. The qualities of love are mentioned there. Uh, this great old theologian, Millard Erickson, he's, he was born in like 1932 and he's still going strong. This guy is amazing. Uh, but he wrote that if God is love, we should be able to look at the qualities listed in 1 Corinthians 13 as qualities of Jesus. We should be able to recognize these as qualities of Jesus. We should be able to look at these descriptions and say, yeah, that's God. And so this week, I want, us to do, I want us to do something together. Commit to take a little time in your day, each day, to meditate on the attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You can take a few each day. But then meditate on them as attributes of Jesus, the qualities of Jesus. Who is the perfect embodiment of God, who God really is? So uh, we're gonna t- we'll take a couple right now just to kind of uh, practice here. But here's all 16 listed on the screen. These are the characteristics of love as listed in the Word of God, Scripture. But then what we want to do is say, where do I see this characteristic of love in the life of Christ? The Word of God made flesh, right? Where do I see this show up in the life of Jesus? And this might take a little uh, searching. If if you're real familiar with, you know, Jesus stories and things like that, you could probably come up with some right off the top of your head. If you're not, if you're newer to the life of Jesus, it might take a little bit of searching through the gospel accounts. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or maybe get together with a friend who kind of has some more experience living the Jesus life and you can get together with them and talk about how to team up with somebody and talk about it together. Some opportunities where you can see how did this show up in Jesus' life. And then second, you do a second thing. Ask yourself, where do I see this attribute of love show up in others around me? The fellow agapitoi. Because remember, John told us, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, and God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So so when have I seen this quality of God revealed in people around me? And then lastly, the third one is, how do I see this in my own life? How am I growing in this? You may come across an attribute, and for you, it's a nice big long list. Man, yeah, I do this and this and this. Way to go. For you, you might look at an attribute of Jesus and you go, this is going on my wish list. And that's okay. Maybe, maybe there's, it's an opportunity for you to make a fresh commitment and say, this characteristic of love is sort of lacking in my life. Lord, show me practical ways I can commit this week to demonstrating, expressing this love to someone else. So let's do a couple of these together. I, I don't know about you, I learn better just by seeing it done, watching somebody do it, so I can copy that. So let's see, what characteristic does 1 Corinthians 13 start with? Love is patient, it will say. Patient. So I start by saying, well, where is this in the life of Christ? Where do I see Jesus modeling that? Immediately, I think of the entire three-year ministry of Jesus right? I mean, with his disciples, how many times would Jesus teach the same thing, say the same thing, and they would mess up? Those closest to him, right? And he would repeat them. 
He would repeat it. He challenged them. He would reteach them. He would keep going back, not giving up on them. He would teach them the concept of enemy love, love for your enemies. And they come back and someone didn't receive the gospel and they'd come back and say, Jesus, so do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? Because they didn't listen to you. And he would be like, oy vey, okay, let's go through this again. Gather around the fire. Here we go, right? And he keeps teaching them. He keeps working with them. So I look at so many of these conversations that come to mind in those three years that Jesus spent with his disciples. And then the fact that he continues with us, with me. And I think, oh, I'm included in that list of disciples. I'm one of them. And Lord, I'm so grateful for your patience. There's so many ways I keep returning to something that I should have let go of a long time ago. And I keep coming back there. And his patience with me is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then I'm going to start picturing the people in my life. Where do I see this? Where have I witnessed this other people around me inspiring me with their, just this divine patience? I think, who puts up with me? Who are those people? Man. And I thank God for them, for putting them into my life to inspire me and, and to show me tangible examples of God. And then I think, who do I need to be more patient with? I think of the ways that I have shown patience this week. I thank you, God, for you helped me there. You helped, your love helped me show patience. And then I think of the ways where I had the opportunity and I failed. And I failed and, and I simply repent, right? We're, when the Holy Spirit brings that to our remembrance, we, we repent. We say, thank you, Lord. Give me more opportunities this coming week to show patient love to others. Do you see already how this is so different from the prayer we would normally want to pray? Which is, save me from opportunities to have to show patience, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, Lord, give me opportunities to show patience. What's the next thing it says? Love is kind. Oh man, kindness. That is initiating goodness to someone. It's not just like being a sweet person. It's initiating goodness, initiating goodness. I think of several examples there. One that stands out to me is, is the, um, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus comes across. She's despised among the other women in town. She's sinful. Nobody will talk to her. She's at the well all by herself. She's by herself. And Jesus goes and initiates conversation with her. And notice he, the first thing he did was initiate conversation out of his own vulnerability. He said, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Give me a drink. And then out of that, he reveals that he's the Messiah and that he's going he's gonna to reveal that he knows everything about her and he accepts her anyway. And he's going to reveal so much, but it starts with friendship. It starts with kindness. The fact that he's just having this conversation with her is so scandalously kind. Jesus is just a kind, kind man, isn't he? I have to admit, I think about this sometimes, just thinking about human nature. I wonder how many women, when they came across Jesus, surely developed a little crush on him, you know, when they met Jesus, because they're just like, finally, a guy who treats me so well, right? He doesn't, he's not asking for anything. He's not manipulating. Nothing's a power play here. He's not seducing. He's just being kind. How amazing, how amazing Jesus is so kind. So there's an example. 
There's an example. And then we would think about how do I see that in other people? And then how do I see that in my life? So I'd love to encourage you to do that with me this week. Listen, please don't let these words just be words in a nice little time we spent together today. And let this just be another empty week, a spiritually dry week where you're just glued to the TV looking at election returns. How ultimately temporal is that? Amen? How ultimately temporal. You, if you want, you want to impact the world around you in ways that are eternal, live each day as the beloved of God, the agape toy, and determine to shower that love on others around you. Let it flow from you. No matter what color the sign in their yard is, let that love shower onto other people. Let's spend time with Jesus each day, meditating on these attributes of love and how they show up in the life of Jesus, in the life of others around us, and in our own life. And I, I'm going to pray. I pray that as you do this, may you have a, a deeper, richer encounter with God himself as you, as you meditate on the love of Jesus and in ways that you've seen it in the body of Christ around you and the love that you have the chance yourself to offer one another. May you have this week, of all weeks, a deeper, richer encounter with the God who is love. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I praise you right now. Lord, I invite your spirit this week to flow through us. Pour yourself completely into us, Lord. Be our teacher and our guide, Lord. Offer up yourself to us. May we have the courage to, to open our eyes, Lord God, to see Jesus more clearly, to see the body of Christ more clearly so that we can see more of you, how you truly are. May we see you, God. May we see your love at work. Lord, And so your love can be made complete in us. Finish your work in us, Lord God. We surrender ourselves to your vision for the body of Christ this week. We set aside our agenda for what's most important. And we allow you, Father God, this week to form us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, our one true king. Be our true king, Lord God. Be our true hope, our one true allegiance this week, Lord God. And Lord, we do lift up our land. We lift up our country that we live in. Heal our land, Father. We pray for these elections that are happening. May they be safe, secure, fair. We thank you, Lord God, every voice will be heard. No violence or corruption, Father. We ask you for that, Lord God. And no matter what, Lord God, no matter what, may your kingdom come, your rule and reign be evident in our hearts, Lord Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray it all in your holy name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you have a, a need that we can pray with you about, anything going on in your life, 
we would love to pray with you. And we've got a lot of different ways you can see on the screen there, ways you can send us your prayer requests. We've got prayer teams just waiting to just fight the fight of faith with you, alongside you. If, if you would like that personal touch, you want uh, somebody to just stand with you in the flesh right now. Pastor Albert's going to be up here at the front, uh, down here by the stage. You can come up to him and he would love to stand in faith with you and pray about whatever need it is you have. Um, also, I want to remind everybody, if you're giving your tithes and your offerings today, we have offering boxes up here by the stage on either side there in both of our foyers you can give that way and of course there's a lot of different ways you can give online on the website or on the church Rico was born in 2014 like thank you so much he was for diagnosed and for honoring the Lord and for helping us the agape toy to be a blessing to not only the world and our community but also right here in our in our church uh, those of us who are in need um that are sitting right right here among us right now, people who, who need some help. And so you allow us to be a blessing. You're part of that. So we thank you so much for that. And by the way, thank you guys so much for last week of Pastor's Appreciation. Y'all were just, uh, were so generous with your cards and your letters and your cookies and all kinds of good stuff like that and, and your gifts. Thank you so much. We're just uh, speechless with gratitude. You guys strengthen us more than you know. You strengthen us more than you know. And such a pleasure and an honor just being in ministry right alongside you, arm in arm, doing this together, being a blessing for Jesus in our community. Hallelujah. Amen. So my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his favor to you and grant you his peace in your heart in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace. I speak grace and peace to you today. Amen. Bye-bye.